Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. The Reagan-Udall Foundation's report evaluating the FDA's tobacco program released today, and its findings are remarkable, if not a little shocking. The panel of outside experts reviewed the operations of the FDA Center for Tobacco Products, analyzed input from CTP staff, and weighed the concerns of industry stakeholders in only 60 days. And joining us again as promised to discuss the report is Tony Aboud, Executive Director of the Vapor Technology Association. Tony, thanks for the back-to-back appearances on RegWatch. Well, thank you again for having me on, Brent. I appreciate the opportunity. Now, we're going to jump right into this report, and it just came out a few hours ago, so this will be a bit rough and ready, and we won't be able to get to all of the report, but some real substance in this thing. Viewers at some point may want to check out our last RegWatch episode where Tony and I discussed some of the background leading up to this report. Now, Tony, were you pleased with today's report? Did it reflect some of the issues VTA presented to the panel? Well, Brent, I think, as you know, we um, spent a lot of time uh, addressing the inquiries that the Reagan-Udall Foundation um, wanted to be addressed. Uh, One of the first things that we did was we took the opportunity to present oral comments to the Reagan-Udall Foundation on October 24. Um, Of course, we were only given eight minutes, so we had to compact our thoughts into a very short time frame. Uh, Thereafter, we submitted much more detailed written uh, comments in a 38-page document with uh, a corresponding appendix of exhibits uh, so that they could more fully understand the positions and concerns that we were raising, as well as the recommendations uh, that we were raising with regards to what has been going on in the Center for Tobacco Products, particularly as it relates to the review of PMTA applications along with the other topics that the agency, or I'm sorry, that the foundation was uh, interested in. And then um, actually more recently, just last week, we took the opportunity to provide Reagan-Udall Foundation with uh, copies of those two memos that were recently disclosed in Logic's menthol ends litigation, uh, because we felt that those two memos that were written by uh, the agency were just remarkable examples of the same types of concerns that we had been raising already, uh, particularly as it relates to how the agency was shifting standards and how they were applying those standards. So with that backdrop and with all the substance that we kind of put into this, uh, we've had an opportunity to kind of briefly get through this uh, lengthy report. And I have to say, on balance, uh, I am pleased with a number of the statements uh, that were made by the foundation with a number of the uh, the recognition of some of the inherent problems uh, that we had identified. Uh, we see a lot of commonality, at least to, to think that they heard what we and other stakeholders were saying, um, as well as a number of the recommendations. Um, some cases, the recommendations perhaps didn't go as far as we had hoped, but I think when you dig into the recommendations that the foundation is making, they truly get to the core of some of our major concerns. Now, one of the, t- you know, the big things they called for to have the agency build a strategic plan for the regulation of these products, I would have thought that the regulator already had a plan. Well, they did. And it's one of the things that we noted that the agency had done well. That was back in 2017 when Commissioner Gottlieb had announced the comprehensive plan, as he called it, 
uh, for the regulation of tobacco and nicotine products. And if you recall, as part of that plan, they discussed the importance of the continuum of risk, acknowledging the continuum of risk, developing um, regulations uh, that would enable uh, the agency to evaluate uh, less harmful ends and other alternative nicotine products according to that continuum of risk. Another major component was, of course, the creation of foundational rules, as well as the extension of the PMTA deadline from 2018 to 2022, so those rules could be put in place, and so that all stakeholders had a clear understanding of what the agency was going to require. I mean, at that time, Commissioner Gottlieb recognized that the agency wasn't fully prepared to handle the onslaught of applications um, and those, those rules needed to be created. So yes, that plan was in place, but of course, as we noted, and as Reagan Udall Foundation noted, that plan was put on the shelf. And so the fact that they are now calling for a new strategic plan, I think is extremely important. And uh, it demonstrates one of the principal recommendations that we have made, or it's consistent with it, in the sense that they're basically saying the agency needs to have a clearly articulated plan that identifies the key policy issues that need to be addressed, their plan for addressing them, as well as addressing the critical scientific questions that must be answered for the effective operation of the tobacco program is another point that they make. Um, and then one of the key elements of their comprehensive or strategic plan is that the plan should acknowledge where gaps in the data exist in making policy judgments, such as the center's harm reduction posture. And I was pleased to see that that was specifically articulated because of course that was one of the critical items of the original comprehensive plan and one of the recommendations that we had made. In other words, the agency as it relates in, in dealing with tobacco products has to have a comprehensive plan for how it's going to manage and regulate less harmful products that sit at the lower end of the risk continuum, something that they have already and repeatedly acknowledged, but don't seem to have any sort of plan in place to achieve. Now, we're going to hear this a lot in this report, and it's the issue around communication uh, that FDA and CTP are just not communicating uh, across the board uh, well enough. And this specific quote I'm going to just read out here from page 11 on the report goes to the 2017 plan, which was the last plan. In 2017, the agency announced its intention to apply a harm reduction strategy designed to move tobacco product consumers down the continuum of risk from using combustible tobacco products to non-combustible products. However, stakeholders observed the agency's more recent marketing authorization decisions to uh, appear to, re to reflect a policy shift, specifically a reluctance to authorize any electronic nicotine delivery systems ends other than those that are tobacco flavor. So there's a policy shift that you could only see in the marketing denial orders. And so Reagan Udall says, if such a policy shift occurred, the agency did not specifically announce it in a regulation or guidance, leaving stakeholders to glean it from documents posted on FDA's website, such as the technical project lead review of PMTAs, MDOs posted in abbreviated form or from heavily redacted documents 
provided in the response to freedom of information requests. I think that's quite damning. They put their finger right on it there. Oh, they sure did. And when you, therefore, when you read that setup piece and then look at the recommendation, even though the recommendation may appear to be more benign, um, uh, it, it is clear that they have identified the core issue that we have been talking about and that we laid bare in excruciating detail in our submission and in our oral comments, which was this was a policy decision that was made under the guise of a regulatory action that was not uh, pursued through a, re a rulemaking process. Um, and the documents that they referred to that industry was forced to glean that policy from were all created after the fact, after the applications had been filed, after the applications had been reviewed, and in cases after the applications had been denied. So I think the what's critical with that acknowledgement by the foundation is that they realize that something has gone wrong, something is amiss with the manner in which the agency has changed its processes and therefore, as we said, changed the policy. Because we made it very clear in our submission that that process change that took place in, um, in uh, June and July of 2021, when they had decided to alter the manner in which they were reviewing flavored ENDS applications, was in fact a de facto policy change. And I think that their statement there is, is a recognition of that fact. Now, there's also in the next paragraph, actually, uh, something very important. And this lack of clarity that they keep saying there's this lack of clarity, transparency and communication extends to questions about how the agency intends to balance individual risk and benefit against population risk and benefit while carrying out its public health mission, how the agency will weigh concerns about youth uptake of nicotine products against the harm reduction potential of non-combustible tobacco products. So you've got this, you've got the overall appropriate for the protection of public health as this, as the target for allowing products to be um, ex approved or accepted, whichever word you like to choose. But that's in some kind of a tension uh, with harm reduction and adult use. Yeah, and I think that's why they're saying that this strategic plan really has to outline the policies that the agency is going to be pursuing, as well as how they are going to pursue those policies. But they get into this in, in more detail um, in their uh, report and recommendations when they talk about specifically the appropriateness for the protection of public health standard, because that's what they're referring to there. The appropriateness for the protection of public health standard is a balancing test, right? It balances the uh, the net benefit to public health uh, against and with the potential for initiation, particularly amongst youth, as well as the potential for cessation, uh, presumably uh, uh, and particularly amongst adults. And they raise questions in their report and recommendations consistent with the quotes that you just read, which, which really call into question how the fact that the agency does not have a clearly articulated um, standard or how they are applying the appropriateness for the protection of public health standard, which is why they say it has to be part of the comprehensive plan and why they also make specific recommendations 
when they when they talk about the PMTA process itself. Let me bring up another sticky wicket uh, that's going on here with the agency, and that's this problem it seems to have with science. And I and I think the Reagan Udall panel here has kind of nailed it. The panel has observed that some issues before CTP are fundamental policy questions that must be informed by science, but are not themselves scientific issues. Rather, they are policy issues with profound societal impacts. One such question that scientific analysis alone will not resolve is how to weigh the public health benefits of the percentage of adults who use ENDS that will completely quit smoking combustible tobacco products against the potential public health harms that youth who use ENDS will acquire a lifelong addiction to nicotine or proceed to use combustible tobacco products. At times, a lack of clarity about the distinction between and the intersection between policy and science has created controversy within CTP and may lead to a perception that the center's scientific integrity is being challenged when in fact policy decisions that transcend the science are being made. Yeah, that is an absolutely incredibly important quote. Um, Two things to note. First of all, they're recognizing the absence of a balancing test. The test exists, but how that test is being implemented is nowhere to be found. And that test goes to the core of the Tobacco Control Act, right? That is what is at the core of the entire pre-market review process. And it's at the core of the modified risk tobacco product standard. So when the foundation makes these comments, I think it's extremely important to also highlight that they refer to the potential public health harms um, that youth who use ENDS uh, will acquire a lifelong addiction. And I think that inclusion of the word potential is extremely important too, because one of the, the points that we stressed in our submission, uh, and we relied not on our own statements, but the statements of the 15 past presidents of the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco, was that how this imbalance, there is this imbalance between concern about youth versus the concerns about adults, and how the concern as it relates to youth is truly a potential concern. It is a hypothetical concern, as the 15 past presidents have noted. It is a concern that may come to bear or reality at some point three decades into the future. But the immediate concern is the concern about adult smokers who today are suffering from smoking-related illnesses and today are dying from cigarette smoking. And so the policy, as it relates to appropriateness for the protection of public health, has to be balanced, and that the manner in which the agency is going about doing that balancing has to be articulated. Um, And the fact that it is not is a serious concern, but also one of the key elements of our recommendations and clearly something that the foundation has uh, said is an important component, both of the comprehensive plan and uh, of the way in which the agency is going to explain to the stakeholders how they are going to actually evaluate these applications. 
Yeah, it's that quote, I think, is one of the quotes where I come down to this is remarkable and a bit shocking to because all of these reports, they've got that like kind of obligatory backslapping and stuff going on. And it's all they're all cut from the same mold. You've got to know how to read these things to be able to go, oh, wait a minute. That's pretty strong. And, you know, what's interesting is also the last part of that quote that you read, because they're saying that that lack of clarity, that that misunderstanding as to how this is being addressed is really a policy problem, which they put, I'm, I'm sure, are, are intending to put at the feet of the policymakers at FDA, right? Leadership, as opposed to the scientists who are in the trenches reviewing the applications. And, and nothing could be clearer on this point than what we learned from the recent memos that were drafted and, and submitted in the logic menthol litigation, because that memo that was written by the Office of Science on October 25 of, uh, of this year specifically said that the scientists had reviewed the applications, had balanced all of the factors, had even taken into account the potential for youth to possibly use the logic product. And then they came down with their preliminary conclusion that on balance, that product should be authorized for sale. But it was only after they met with the center for the center director's office that the center director's office raised the concerns or shared their views is what they say in the memo. And then the Office of Science decided to change its process and go a different direction. Right. So look, if if they were upfront that policy, not science, was driving their decision making, then established policy, then post that policy, make it known, get feedback and input. You know, if, if it's all comes down to kids, if it's about saving the kids and if we can save one kid's life, it doesn't matter if 100,000 adults are going to die of lung cancer. It's that one kid's the most important thing. Well, then post that then as the agency policy and, and make that, you know, fully informed for everybody. And then there you go. But they, they don't do that and, and they've changing it. And yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly the point we made when, when these en masse denials started coming out in um, um, August and then September of 2021, you know, we sent a letter directly to uh, uh, um, then Center for Tobacco Products Director Mitch Zeller and said, look, if this is the new standard, perhaps this, this is something that must, should have been, uh, the companies and all stakeholders should have been informed about before the applications were due. So that companies could have an opportunity to truly address that standard. But it is, so it's clear that the Reagan Udall Foundation has heard this concern, has identified that um, it is, a serious concern and that it needs to be addressed. And I don't think anybody really can quibble with that since the whole APPH standard is really, as I said before, at the core of the Tobacco Control Act in terms of product review. Um, and then of course they brought this up again or similarly with respect to the fatal flaw approach, right? Um, where separate and apart from articulating the need to have a clear APPH test understood, uh, as well as what would need what companies would need to provide in terms of the type and quality of science to demonstrate or or, or meet that test. 
you know, the agency also made the recommendation, and, and I'll just read it here. It says that they must consider clarifying in formal policy the center's plans for triaging its substantive reviews to conserve resources when there are critical sections of the application that can be indicative of whether all sections of the application merit review. And what they're talking about there is the fact that, as they write later, and I'll quote again, to the extent that CDP intends to review certain critical sections of an application first, and if deficient, not proceed to other sections, such a policy should be reflected in public guidance that explains to applicants how CTP will triage its substantive reviews. Now, that goes directly to the heart of the whole fatal flaw approach, because if you remember, it was the fatal flaw standard that they utilized to eliminate flavored ends by claiming first that the applicants had to have long-term randomized control trials that demonstrate um, that are product specific, something that they had said earlier was not a requirement, but also that those trials had to further demonstrate that their flavored products would be more effective in their words at helping people reduce or quit smoking completely than a tobacco flavored product. And here the agency, although it doesn't allude to the fatal flaw, which we spent a lot of time talking about orally and in our written comments, it is clearly saying, hey, if you are going to impl implement a process which says there's going to be one piece of this application that's a, a prerequisite, well, before and, and, and your application would be considered deficient if not there, then that should have been done in advance. So they clearly heard the concerns that were raised um, about this particular issue and have said, no, 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 you have to fix this. And they made it a specific recommendation, even though their comment doesn't appear to be as critical, perhaps, as our comments were. The foundation here, the panel, has over and over and over again zeroed in on the litigation. Uh, and they're talking specifically of the NGO litigation, even though they don't say it. But it is that that litigation in 2020 where Judge Grimm imposed these deadlines and the FDA came back really quite honestly and said, hey, we're, we're fine with only 10 months uh, and has created all of this chaos. And as a viewer of ours, actually, uh, some a viewer who wrote this comment on our last video that you were on mentioned that it's convenient chaos that the FDA has created with those actions. Well, it's interesting that they did acknowledge the, the, the litigation. And at numerous points throughout their report, they refer to the fact that certain decisions and the way those decisions are made um, lead to further litigation. Uh, that the industry is prone to litigation, but not just not just industry, because as you noted, they talked about the other non-governmental organizations, the special interest groups that are hostile to um, all things vaping. So, and, and they recognize how that has constrained the agency, that those shortened timeframes are frankly what put us in this mess, this mess where the agency was not prepared, as Commissioner Gottlieb had said originally back in 2017, to handle an influx of applications. The fact that the FDA in that litigation acquiesced to 
the demand by the um, special interest groups to have a 10-month deadline then superimposed over the then existing PMTA process was a problem, but one of the agency's own creations. And I think that the foundation report acknowledges that. But they also acknowledge, I think, in other places, how having more transparent litigation, having a clearer process, engaging with stakeholders in this process will also lead to better decisions and help to avoid other litigation. And that was yet another theme that we brought up throughout our comments. In other words, it makes no sense to um, deny or issue RTAs or denials based upon administrative failings in an application when you can just pick up the phone as a reviewer and get those issues addressed or when you can issue deficiency letters, a formal process, and, and have the comp give the company an opportunity to address those deficiencies. And I think that the foundation recognizes that litigation is very much um, a, a, a factor that is negatively impacting because they talk about the resources that FDA has to divert to deal with litigation. So having a clear process, having a defined process, having a transparent process is going to get all of us to the end game much faster than if we just continue bumbling down this road where these decisions are being made in, in, in very time constrained settings, which end up then being extended by large periods of time as they noted that denials are made and then retracted uh, because of litigation. Um, which is a common theme that we've been striking now for many, many months publicly, and which we've been communicating to the agency about, particularly as it relates to synthetic or non-tobacco nicotine. So how the agency then decides to deal with these recommendations and these concerns, uh, I guess we will have to wait and see. But litigation is obviously something that should be of concern to the agency and something that um, um, should be avoided if at all possible, through common sense approaches to managing the the regulatory process. So overall, then, is this uh, report something that's delivered some ammunition for you? Well, I don't, ammunition is. I think what it's done is it's highlighted some of the 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 real systemic problems that we have been uh, talking about with respect to the various processes. Uh, it also has highlighted some real potential solutions. I mean, one of the things that they do talk about is the importance or the need to have product standards. This question was specifically addressed when I gave my oral comments. Uh, it was one question that was, it was one question that was asked. And, you know, product standards we think are extremely important. Um, and we provided some specific recommendations on the types of standards that should be implemented as well as who should have input on those standards and how the uh, the CTP should rely upon its tobacco advisory council uh, to achieve those standards. And I was really pleased to see the, the foundation make a couple different recommendations. One is rely more heavily on TIPSAC, use TIPSAC to help identify some of these standards, have some clear standards in place in terms of what companies 
need to provide in terms of ingredients, in terms of additives, in terms of flavorings, in terms of any number of things uh, that they that they articulated and that we shared with them, um, and do so in in a way that um, would allow oh, help avoid perhaps the redundant and unnecessary testing uh, of each and every iteration of of a particular product uh, and help the agency avoid the case by case uh, determinations uh, that they have forced themselves into. And this goes to efficiency of reviewing the process uh, and they know it would be beneficial both to industry as well as to the agency itself. So that type of transparency in terms of what is required uh, and, and, and the fact that the foundation also um, called for um, the a more clear expectation of what is required in applications and the foundational rules uh, that are needed. They noted that there are some foundational rules, but there are some gaps. Um, so that could lead to a streamlined process and they encourage the agency to look for ways to streamline the process. Again, another recommendation um, that we had made. So on balance, uh, I am pleased to see so many issues being addressed by the foundation in this report. Some very specific recommendations in terms of how the agency should then address those recommendations and, and alter their processes as well as articulate their policies. I think the most critical thing now is what will CTP and FDA do uh, in response and, and when will they do so? And I will just note that one of the more critical um, statements that's repeated by the foundation is that CTP must invest the time now, they say. They say it twice in the same way, uh, to examine their current program, their current thinking uh, uh, strategically about where they're deficient and where they need to go in the future. I would contend that what the agency is saying, that this process to be fixed has to start now. In fact, they say that the path to resolving many of the center's current challenges starts with establishing the scientific and policy framework to make clear and timely product decisions that withstand judicial scrutiny. So if you wrap up everything we've been talking about in that comment, Brent, I would argue that the agency needs to take a step back now. They've, been, they've asked for this Reagan-Udall Foundation review. They have been given that review that review does not reflect very well on how they have managed tobacco regulations, uh, particularly over the last few years, and that the time is now for them to start changing both the policy and the scientific framework, and that the path to doing that has to start with that change of framework. So until they make those policy decisions, and, re and, 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 and establish the scientific framework, they should not continue down the path that they're on using the broken processes that they have. Um, and they should effectively put a hold on making any major decisions until they can adequately address the recommendations that have been made by the foundation.